Hi everyone, my name is Ming and today we're carrying on our foundation series where we're looking at the foundations of what it means to be God's people. What are the foundational planks God has laid out for us to live lives as followers of Jesus? We saw last week we exist to live for God, to glorify and magnify Him. That's why we're here. This week, we get to see something that is so close to the core of God's heart. It's literally the only thing holding back the end of the world as we know it. And it's this. Mission. Mission. Sharing the news of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. It's foundational to why you and I exist and what God is doing on earth. Now, what's interesting is evangelism, telling others the good news about Jesus, is one of the few spiritual topics most Christians and non-Christians can agree on. Non-Christians don't like hearing it. Christians don't like doing it. So why not just quit talking about Jesus altogether? Often it's, it's awkward, discouraging, demeaning, and difficult. Many times our experiences make us lose heart and eventually we stop trying altogether. Well, today I want to put it to you that even though evangelism is difficult, even though it's hard, that doesn't mean we stop doing it. It's at the very heart of who God made us to be. The God who sustains us, gives us breath, keeps our hearts beating. Until the end of history, what does He want us to be doing? It's mission. But to understand why that is, we need to get two things right. What God is like and what we are like. So, Come with me to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, where we're taken into the very presence of God. And here, we'll see why mission is so important for Him and you and me. And even if you're not a Christian, especially if you're not a Christian, this is important. So have a look, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Just imagine coming face to face with God, face to face with the creator of all things. What do you picture? Because Isaiah gets a picture of God like no other. He literally can't even describe it. It's this crazy scene. Just look at what's going on around him. Verse 2. Seraphim was standing above him. They each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Holy, holy, holy. When we hear that, we think religious jargon, old school, not for me. But what it really means is this breathtaking, so different, so unlike everything else, so perfect and pure and weighty and magnificent. Throughout history, lots of people have tried to explain holiness, but everyone struggles because we can never describe it in a way that does it justice. My attempt, breathtaking. And it's not just once, not just twice, but three times. Now, in ancient times in Hebrew, they didn't have underlined, they didn't have bold or italics or emoticons. 
The way they expressed depth and significance and grandeur was through repetition. And what's more profound is that no other part of God's character or nature is ever repeated like this. God is never described as love, 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 although He is love. God is never described as good, 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 even though He is good. We are looking at the one part of God's very nature that must be emphasized. God is holy, holy, holy. The very sound of this declaration makes the temple shake and fill with smoke, verse 4. Now, you might be going at this point, all right, all right, I get it. God's holy, but what does that mean? Why does it matter? Friends, it means God is not like you. God is not like anything else in this universe. He's set apart, pure, majestic, incredible, more powerful and perfect than anything we can possibly imagine. The very concepts of holiness, perfection, purity, power, morality, everything that is good cannot exist without God. Let me ask you, if you were face to face with the holy God, how would you respond? Would you fall to your knees and praise God? Maybe you'd hide yourself from Him, embarrassed. Would you just run away scared? Maybe you're thinking you could, you could ask God a couple of life's big questions. Maybe put Him on trial. What would you do? Now, I ask this because, because of Isaiah's reaction. See, Isaiah was God's prophet. We're talking about a man most likely better, more godly than you, definitely better than me. Isaiah's first reaction to being in the presence of God, it's not immediate praise or immediate worship. It isn't a casual greeting. Have a look at what he says in verse 5. Woe is me. I am ruined. Isaiah declares his own condemnation, his own judgment, his agony. It's not like when we lose $10 or, or feel some discomfort. No. Isaiah cries at the realization of how morally bankrupt he is. And just listen to why in verse 5. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In other words, the reason Isaiah says he is ruined is because for the first time ever, he's comparing himself to God. He now sees that compared to the purity and power of God, anything and everything about himself just magnifies his wretchedness pettiness and sin. Compared to God, he just looks like garbage. This is, this is so different to you and I, isn't it? What do we spend our time doing? We spend our time comparing ourselves to others. Oh, I'm not as good looking as him. Or I'm not as smart as her. I'll never be as popular as them. Or often, it's the other way around, isn't it? Oh, I'm not as bad as them. Or I do this way better than they do. Hey, 
Hey, it's not like I'm that Hitler fellow. Friends, this comparison with other people is utterly meaningless. It's pathetic. We're like blades of grass comparing which of us is taller when standing there in the middle of the field is this giant cowrie tree. See, it's only when compared to God, compared to His perfection, purity, power, that we can possibly comprehend how disgusting we really are. Now, don't think I'm here casting judgment on you because I'm in the same boat. But I want us to realize that the only comparison that, that means a thing is comparison with God. This may be a new realization for us. We don't, we don't naturally see the horrific position we're in. We think we can waltz up to God, put Him on trial. But what Isaiah shows us is that you and I, we have a big problem. When I was a kid and getting older, I used to get in trouble for wetting the bed. One night, I woke up in the middle of the night and realized me and my bed was soaked. I panicked and I didn't want to get into trouble, so I snuck around the house trying to figure out how to fix the problem. In the garage, I found a can of dry idea. I had no idea what it was, but I was desperate. So, fingers crossed, I quickly sprayed it all over. After not seeing any improvement, I decided to actually read the can and only two words stood out. Highly flammable. I freaked out thinking my underwear was going to blow up. I seriously thought my bed and underwear were going to catch on fire. I panicked. This was the moment I realized I needed help. I couldn't pretend. My parents would have sniffed out the issue in the morning. I couldn't fix it. I thought my pants were going to catch on fire. Everything I tried to do just got me in a bigger and bigger mess. My only option was to come face to face with my parents. In the face of realizing how much trouble we're in before God, there's a real temptation for us to try to make amends on our own, try to find some spiritual can of dry idea. You know, we say things like, I'll go to church. Maybe that's why you're here today. Or I'll give money to charity. Or I'll try and be a good person from now on. But there's two major problems with this. One, there is not enough good we can do in this world to make up for a lifetime of rejecting God. There just isn't. But two, the reality is we simply can't and won't do it. If we try right now, try and be perfect for an hour, and remember, that includes our thoughts and actions, all of it, we will realize how difficult it is. But even if you do make it through the hour, I'll give you that, you get through the hour. We just end up feeling proud of yourselves and ruin it. Even at our best, our very best, our thoughts and actions are consumed by dirtiness. Now, we might miss how messed up we are. We might even try to pretend it's not there. But God knows. And like my parents, who despite me wetting the bed that night, they still loved me 
and made sure my underwear didn't catch on fire. See, the God of the universe offers to save us from the fire we deserve, for turning our backs on Him, for trying to do things our own way. And despite our brokenness, despite our blindness and sin, we see that the heart of God is love. Have a look at what happens with Isaiah in verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has been removed and your sin is atoned for. That night I wet the bed. My parents helped me take off my dirty clothes and sheets and gave me new washed clothes and sheets. They gave me what I couldn't give myself. And here in Isaiah, when it's beyond us, beyond our ability to fix our brokenness and sin, God steps in. Isaiah is cleansed, not by his own actions, but by God's. Why? Because Isaiah, when confronted with his sin, didn't run, didn't pretend it didn't exist, didn't stand there shaking his fist at God. He cries out, woe is me. He sees the depth of his sin before God. And God in his incredible love and mercy sees this and he forgives him. He purifies him, takes away his guilt and fixes their broken relationship. No longer does Isaiah need to say, woe is me. He can now say, whoa, I'm free. Now, what does a burning coal from the altar have to do with it all? No one really knows. But what we do know is that there's no need for us to have a glowing hot coal be placed in our lips anymore. Because for us, someone else was burned in our place. We have Jesus who looked at us in our rebellion and he said, I'm willing to take that punishment for you. I'm willing to take all that and cleanse you before God. Not because you deserve it, but because this is what I'm about. Showing love to those who want nothing to do with me bringing those who have rejected me back into relationship with me and forgiving my enemies and making them children of God. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. You know, it's crazy to think that God who is the absolute best, could love those who are the absolute worst. But that's who, what He does. That's who God is. But what's even more crazy? More crazy than what God has done for us would be, would be to hear this and continue to be unchanged, to not be affected at all by God's love. So I urge with you today, if you have not yet come to Jesus, then come to Jesus today. Trust Him that He died in your place, that He offers you forgiveness with God. Because this is what God is on about. This is why He still keeps the world spinning. And this is why we're here as God's church. See, if it were crazy enough to be unaffected by this incredible news, it's just as crazy to understand it, to accept it and love it, but not tell others. It just doesn't work. 
And that's why in the very next verse, we see just how close to God's heart mission is. Isaiah 6 verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who will I send? Who will go for us? See, God's not sitting back in heaven with his arms crossed thinking, when are these scumbags going to get their act together, clean themselves up and come to me? No, no. God loves us and wants us to experience his love. He takes the initiative to seek us out. He's proactive, comes for us and calls us to follow him. This is who our God is. In fact, I'd put it like this. Our God is a missionary God. You know the concept of a missionary? A missionary is someone who leaves the comfort and security of their home and launches out to another place and lives in another culture. They go through the necessary changes to reach people and introduce them to God. We have that concept of a missionary, but it comes from the fact that our God is a missionary. He's the first one to ever do that. A couple of weeks ago, we saw in Philippians 2, God leaves the glory and comfort of being God in heaven. He enters into our world as Jesus, enters into our pain, enters into our place, and He dies for us. That's His mission, to rescue us. He's literally the missionary God. See, this is why Christianity is so different from every other worldview or religion out there. Because everything else says it's about searching for God or, or finding yourself. But Christianity would say not. Nah. It's about being found by God. He's the one looking for the lost. God's not prepared to just sit back and let the creation He loves spiral off into chaos. He's merciful. He's compassionate. Because he's a missionary God. Do you see the heart of our God? Isaiah, in the very next verse, so captivated by God, by his love and mercy, can't help but respond in this way. Verse 8. When I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. Like an eager child who's first to put up their hand or, or cross their arms for someone they adore, Isaiah wants to be sent. He wants to go. If you have just become a Christian, this just makes sense. I remember when I first became a Christian, I wondered, why didn't I know about this sooner? What have I been doing my whole life? One of the first things I wanted to do was was turn to my friends, my family, anyone I knew and say, you got to meet this Jesus guy. He's awesome. New Christians get it. It's us older Christians who need to be reminded of the wonder of God. To remember God's holiness, the judgment we deserve, and the freedom and joy of being forgiven. It's as we are reminded of this, we are reminded of how desperately our friends, Family, neighbors need to hear about Jesus. We need to be reminded. So let me remind you of this. You're a follower of Jesus. You might be someone who, who studies, but you're not a student. 
You're a follower of Jesus, undercover as a student. You might be someone who works with your hands, but you're not a tradie. You're a follower of Jesus, undercover on the building site. You might be someone who has one of those jobs that everyone thinks is awesome, a doctor or an engineer or something, but you're not that. You're a follower of Jesus undercover in that scene. You might be a stay-at-home mum or dad, one of the hardest professions, but who are you? You're a follower of Jesus undercover in that area. But let's get this right. Not too undercover, because God has chosen to use us through our lives and our voices so that people might come and put their trust in Jesus. Have a look with me at Romans 10 verse 14. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded to press into the very thing we're called to be. Followers of Jesus, citizens of heaven, missionaries on this earth, helping others to meet Jesus. First Peter helps remind us of this. And it says in chapter 2, verse 9 of First Peter, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. But you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you see who you are? You're God's people, citizens of heaven, aliens and strangers on this earth. Doesn't that remind you a bit of a missionary? Someone who's left the comfort and security of their home, living as foreigners for the sake of others. If we read on in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. Let me ask, how does the Gentile, an unbeliever, come to glorify God on the day He visits? Only if that unbeliever has been found and is now following Jesus. When that happens, they'll be glorifying God instead of it being a horrific day of judgment for them. But the real question is, how does an unbeliever come to be a follower of Jesus? Well, we're told here we are involved in the process. We are to live such honorable lives that they actually see the way we live. And that plays a role in them crossing over to becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, honorable lives, what is this honorable life? Well, I tell you, it's a life where we live for something beyond this place. It's a life of hope. Later on in 1 Peter, it goes on to say, chapter 3, verse 15, 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, most Christians I know find it incredibly hard to bring up Jesus in their conversations. They find it hard to get it in and, and know what to say or how to say it. And most of the time, we, we feel totally inadequate to talk about Jesus in our average, everyday conversations. There's some of us here at EV who are awesome at it, and it's great, but most of us just feel pretty useless at it. But Peter tells us here, we need to be ready. He assumes people are going to ask us, why do you have such hope? Do you get asked that? I know I don't get asked that very often, and it makes me wonder if it's because I'm actually not that hopeful. I'm not captured by what Jesus has done. I don't recognize God's holiness, the depth of my sin, the reality of God's judgment. Do I have hope? Do I know the amazing love and mercy of God? Do I look any different to the Hindu, Buddhist, or atheist? Peter says, as strangers and foreigners, as missionaries in this world, we're to live such honorable lives that people around us who don't know Jesus can't help but ask, want to ask, what is this hope you have? I'm just wondering, why is it that you don't appear to be scrambling around like the rest of us for everything here and now? Why doesn't death scare you? How are you so strong when something so terrible has happened to you? Why is that? Hey, there's something different about you. You don't seem obsessed with being in with all the best relationships. You don't appear obsessed with setting yourself up for the ultimate career. Why aren't you scrambling to renovate and, and get more investments like everyone else? When was the last time someone asked you that? To give you a reason for why you're not obsessed with getting ahead like everyone else. Why you don't seem to fear the same things everyone else fears. Or wonder why you seem focused on something else, certain about something else, secure and something else. Hope. They ask, can you just give me a reason for that? And you get the chance to say, I'm living for eternity. I'm convinced that Jesus is God, that He came, lived, died, and rose again, and that He did all that so we didn't have to. This rat race of a world is not all there is. Death does not have to be the end. There's something better coming because I'm with Jesus. You could even say to them, if you could be certain of life after death, wouldn't that change the way you live? Wouldn't that change everything? What an awesome opportunity. This is what we need to be ready for. This is what we're here for. Five years ago, it was a Saturday night, I was going about my life as you do, playing video games or something. I remember doing the summer internship with church. I was, I was even delivering the kids' talk the next morning. But as my dad and mum were heading off to bed, I came down to say goodnight. I casually said, have a good night, love you, as you do. At the time, I thought nothing of it. 
life's normal, this is routine. But little did I know, that was the last time I'd get to talk to my dad. The next morning it was like 4, 5 a.m. I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I was half asleep. The police were in the backyard. The paramedics were there. My mom was screaming, crying. And there on my left was my dad, lying there dead, just like that. He was gone. You know, we go about our lives enjoying ourselves, thinking this is it. But then the realities of life and death just come plummeting when we least expect it. My family doesn't know Jesus. They're like 95% of the people in Auckland. They don't know Christ. They're not going to live for much longer. Every time I reflect on that story, absolutely it's sad. It's sobering. It hurts. But it was good for me to be confronted with reality, the reality of life and death. Statistically in this world, every three seconds, every second actually, three people die. Every second, three people's eternal destinies are set. Three, six, nine, twelve. Yet we have the words of eternal life. And it's a real challenge, isn't it? Not everyone has Christian friends, but my dad had a Christian son. It challenges me to wonder, what was I doing? Was I really captured by God's holiness? Did I see the depth of my sin and the great love and mercy of God? Now, I know it wasn't my responsibility to convert my dad. He was responsible for his choices. But I am responsible for how I use my time now, for what I do with my life, for how I live my life, for giving an answer for the hope I believe in. And what an incredible privilege that is to be found by God, to be sent by Him, and to be a missionary of this great news we have. In Luke 15, there are three stories about God being a missionary God. One who seeks out and finds the lost. After each of the stories, there's a party. They celebrate. It's awesome. And here at EV, we have so much to celebrate, don't we? As we see that God's in the business of seeking us out and continues to look for lost ones to join His family. Over the years, every year among us, God has continued to seek out more and more. Wouldn't it be great to see God continue to do that work and use us in that work to find more for Himself? As we follow God, are captivated by His holiness and strive to grow more like His Son Jesus, we will more and more be filled with compassion and drive to see lost people be found. And we get to celebrate that. As we think about being missionaries sent by God, here at EV, we have something really exciting coming up this Christmas. It's going to be a very different Christmas. Hopefully there won't be another one like it. But as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's going to be a great opportunity to reach out to people with what they need to hear, the news about Jesus. So why not start praying today that God will use us all this Christmas to grow His kingdom and see people experience the joy of knowing real hope. So let's pray, asking God to grow in us the same missionary heart He has 
Let's pray we might be sent and live lives of hope to those around us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we are captivated by your holiness and see the great love you have shown us despite our sin, help us to be captivated by this. Help us to desire more and more the same heart that you do, to see more people be found and move from darkness to light. We pray that this Christmas, many might come to know and love your son, Jesus Christ, and that you might use us in seeing that happen. Help us to celebrate each time this happens and, and find great joy as we wait for your son, Jesus Christ, to return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.